Blog Talk Radio. Hey everybody, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me on this Sunday morning edition of Down to Earth. It's the show in which we talk about the issues that matter. And today being Sunday, of course, we reference matters of faith. But more importantly, it's at the intersection of our humanity and our divinity. Divinity, that's our focus. So we try to focus on where do we intersect with the divine? How does that intersection help us to deal with and overcome the issues of our time? Today is December 13th. It's two days past my birthday, and I can't begin to tell you I've been having quite the time. I finally, finally learned to celebrate my birthday. It's been many years that I have anticipated a birthday like this one. I anticipated this birthday, and I was so happy to live to see my birthday. I can't begin to tell you. As more and more stories surround us of our friends and loved ones who have been impacted by the coronavirus, you can't help but wonder, will it ever happen to you? You know, as much faith as you have, as much as you believe in God, you still wonder if this could come to your doorstep, could come to your family. And I was so grateful I said, while I still yet have time, I'm going to praise the Lord, and I'm going to give thanks for the fact that I am still here and that I am in good health. Thank you so much, everybody. So today, uh, I wanted to talk about a story that comes to us from history and find the commonalities and the intersections that exist today. And I thought I would go, oftentimes I reference the Bible because that's what I teach from, that's the basis, the intersection of our humanity and our divinity, divinity, how our lives as human beings intersect with that dichotomy of God in me, but I'm human. It's the struggle of humanity and has been the struggle for most of civilization. We try to, we try to wrestle with the idea of how can someone be a good person, exhibit traits of humanity, but still espouse that they have some God in them. For most of us, that responsibility and that example is very lacking today because as we look at people who are Bible teachers and who advocate that that's what they do, we see no examples or or no fitting examples that anywhere could God reside in them, anywhere could there be truth, and light and love in them. In fact, they seem to align themselves with the very antithesis of what we believe to be acceptable by God. Love, the love of human beings, the love of one another, brotherly love, peace, and certain moral standings, if nothing else, what is common. And so as we wrestle and struggle to find those examples today and recognize that they're lacking. We're still looking, we're still searching, and many of us will tell you that we are very imperfect. We'll tell you that God works through imperfect people. But at some point, the imperfection blanches because you have to ask yourself, well, what kind of imperfections are we talking about here? uh, On a stricter scale, on a scale, what kind of imperfections? We seem readily, ready to accept to accept certain kinds of imperfections that exist in our humanity, but there are some that we find unacceptable. And so as this wrestling continues, we're not hearing a clear message 
from the divine about the issues of our day. We're not getting some sort of communication because everybody's on a different page. There's no unity in the language and the messaging coming from pulpits that have been taken over by rogue people who have their own agendas to pursue. And they use the pulpit to convey their own messages of hatred, their own messages of racism, their own messages of perversion, as opposed to using it for the good that it was intended to. Make no mistake about it. If you have a platform, you have been given a gift. It's a blessing. That means you use that platform for the common good. So many people today use their platform, don't see for what it is, have this attitude that I am entitled, take that platform and use it for the detriment and for the benefit and enrichment of themselves. Well, in history, wherever that happened, there's always a lesson if you look back at history. And wherever that happened in history, it resulted in chaos. In the story of the storming of the Bastille, what happened was the spark of the French Revolution. There were already activities surrounding that day before that happened that were contributing factors. But the actual storming of the Bastille precipitated the French Revolution, resulting in the king being killed there as the entire aristocracy being annihilated and the people, the third estate, taking over. So I want to talk to you today about the significance of that and what does it mean. It may not be one of those preachy things. You may not find yourselves clapping your hands and shaking your heads and saying, yeah, yeah, turn around three times, slap your neighbor, and everything is going to be all right. That's not what this is about. This is pointedly using history as a guide to the future. I've often said that the past is a guide to the future. Why? Because you can look at the past and choose to learn lessons from the past so you don't repeat them. That's the message that the pastors, it's much like somebody who committed a crime and went to jail. Okay, so that was unfortunate. They went to jail, they got out of jail. What is the message there? Do not commit that crime again because you will go to jail, right? That's the message, okay. So if you go and commit another crime, you're likely to land in jail. Does it seem like you learned that lesson? No, you haven't. So the lessons of the past, the past serves as a guide to the future. It means do not cross this line. Do not do this, because if you do this, this is what will likely occur. That's why the Bible writes about itself, that it is an example. No, the Bible never said fundamentally, you must do this, you must do that. That's why there is grace under Jesus Christ. I've never understood the preachers who pontificate and postulate and call down fire and brimstone. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus was a revolutionary. But he was a revolutionary at the aristocracy, and he was a revolutionary at the plutocracy, the people who were ruling. He was not a revolutionary at the people. The messaging is confusing there. Do you see what I'm saying? Therefore, when Jesus' Jesus's message to the people was love one another, to the plutocracy and the aristocracy, he had very different messages for them. Stop pillaging the people. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. You've got to put it into the groups, the way the message was delivered and intended to be delivered. And people don't often get that. They, they confuse it. So they say, oh, 
Jesus was pious and, and so really? You refer to that man as pious who went into the temple and overturned the temple. He was overturning the rulership of the temple. He was attacking them and setting the people free. Are you hearing me, right? So when you look at this today, you have to ask yourself, so where it, where is Jesus in the people who say they follow Jesus today? Largely absent. So as you look at them today, you realize that there are no examples emanating from them of the grace of Jesus Christ. In fact, they choose their own agendas, and then they say, follow me. I am right. I call that a hostile takeover, that they have removed the people who truly believed in Jesus, the people who truly believed that God saved. They removed them from the conversation, and they have been taken over by rogue followers, rogue people who are in it to win it. They're in it for the money. They're in it for the power. They're in it for the association to politicians. They're in it for their own self-aggrandizement, whereby they see themselves on the news. They're constantly on TV. you got to follow and watch a preacher who always wants to be on TV. Have you ever noticed that most CEOs of companies tend to take a step back? Nobody wants to be in the public eye because we all understand that if you're constantly being followed like that, one day you will trip up. One day they will report something of you. So you don't seek after it. But these preachers today are constantly seeking publicity. It's self-aggrandizement. It's ego. So they project their ego. When it suits them, they sell the message of Jesus Christ. When it doesn't, they sell parts of it. When it doesn't suit them, they stop talking about it. So how can we follow those people? How can we say that these people are giving us a message from God in a, at a time like this? We're at a crucial time in human history. We have not been confronted by a virus like this in our modern time. The last time this was confronted with us was 1918, and it resulted in millions of deaths. 1918 was right after World War I. When people were dissatisfied, there was an economic crisis, and all sorts of things had gone wrong in our society, not just here in America, but worldwide. Here we are again, 100 years later, we have the most fantastic weapons military weapons to hurt humanity. We have advanced systems of healthcare, things that our ancestors dreamed about and wished they had. People don't drop dead today at 40 from old age or drop dead today from anything else unless they're careless about it. We have advanced systems of healthcare. We have more money today than we had then. We can't feed our population. We can't take care of our people, but we choose not to because we want to create these systems. So to put this, do you see where I'm coming from? And so we, we look at these things and we ask ourselves the question, so what gives? What's going to happen? Well, have we looked at what's happening today? Take a look. We were confronted by a virus. By any stretch of the imagination, the United States should never have succumbed to that virus. We have the resources, we have the tools, we have the science, we have the epidemiology, we have every kind of ology of this virus. We could have solved this problem and minimized how many people died. When the H1N1 virus came through, 10,000 people died, but we didn't control it. The 10,000 out of a population of 333 million people. Today, there are over 300,000 people who have died 
from this virus, it has impacted 15 million people. The United States is a super spreader. If we're getting used to it, some of us, so it's not affecting us, but it is still out there and rampant and out of control. We got to be this stage because we listened to political leaders who disenfranchised people and who did not care about the people. It's just like storming the Bastille. Why did the people of Paris rise up to go attack a prison? Well, they had, it had been brewing for centuries. People were tired of being poor and broke. And the aristocracy owned the land, taxed the people out to the ninth degree, just like today. If you look at taxation systems in America today, the people at the bottom pay more taxes than the people at the top. During the pandemic, when people were off jobs, the billionaires in the country made over a trillion dollars. Meanwhile, the people were out of work. How is that not a setup for a storming of the Bastille? How can you look at this and not think that something is very wrong? You see the people who are marching today and they espouse that they're marching for Trump and they're marching, they're racist. What they see and identify in Trump is racism. What they're looking at is, I am entitled to this. I'm entitled to the largest of the country and what the society produces, not because I worked for it, not because I earned it by merit, but because I'm white. That's how they're looking at it. So that's racism. Those people who are marching with Trump, those are not the people who earn $400,000 a year. Let's be clear about that. People who earn $400,000 a year don't get into a march. They don't have time for that. They're protecting their lives because their lives are more valuable. They invariably have jobs and positions that mean more to them. So they don't go engage in a march. The people who are out there marching for something are people who are looking for something. Trump became the embodiment of their beliefs. He espoused racism and white supremacy. He believed that whites are superior. And because of that, he created, he fed this narrative into the people who are largely dissatisfied. They feel that they're disenfranchised and that their disenfranchisement came from a big system of government that gave more to minorities. That is not true. Is it true? Not really. It is so not true. Minorities don't benefit from government programs because of systemic racism. But young whites, and working class whites believe that because they want to, because they believe that nobody else should share in the largest of the country. That is not true because they didn't work for it either. Their ancestors pillaged and raped and robbed people of color so that they could have a foothold. They had a 400-year advance on that. So they didn't work for it, but they feel they're entitled to it. Hello, somebody. So Trump became their embodiment of that messaging. That's why they're in the streets. They're the group of people you need to watch because at the base of their disenfranchisement, at the base of their discontent is what? A latent recognition that they refuse to accept that something is wrong with the way and the governing of the system. They want to think that because I am white, it should not happen to me. But at the base of it, 
they're looking at it like, I have been working for decades. My parents, grandparents worked for decades, and I still am not at the top of the heap. I'm being taxed to the ninth degree. I have nothing. The pandemic came and wiped out my family's business. I have nothing. There are no jobs in our town, no jobs in our cities, no jobs for me to go to. So when it's all said and done, their anger is really directed at the very people whom they were following the messaging for. See, Trump was slick. He presented it like, I am just like you. No, he's not. He had never worked a day in his life. Everything he had was given to him. He had never earned it. So he really didn't appreciate it. It just, people just did things. So he looked at people and he said, they're malleable. I can manipulate them. So what about the third estate? They're the people. The people sat back and they said, wait, hold on. Hold up just a minute. This has been going on for years. I can't make it out of this poverty. I'm always going to be living in the hills. I can't even find the gear that I want to wear. I had to go buy some skirts to put on and call myself the Proud Boys. I can't wear this. I, I will never get out of this. You've got to be careful of this because that's how the people felt. Here right now, we have changed government. So under the guise of they have changed government, all these people are looking at really, the people out there were marching in the streets now with Trump, all they're looking at is, this is a government that is not going to be of mine. This is a new government that is going to enforce the law, that is not going to give me what I want, which is supremacy over America. That's what they're saying. So they're out there in the streets, but the latency, the latency and the recognition that something is wrong when billionaires made trillions of dollars during a pandemic, and I lost my family's business. I have been on Facebook. My people who had small businesses are closing because they have spent a whole year without income. They have nothing to sustain themselves. They did not get the PPP loans. Those loans were given to the friends of politicians. They were guaranteed they were instructed by banks and whoever disbursed those funds to only give it to these people. They were given lists. So people are looking at it like that's the money that I worked for. See, anytime you set up a system, you got to look at the equity and the distribution of equity. If you don't address it, it's going to come back and bite you. This is why some companies who are very wealthy tend to give their employees a portion of the business because they recognize that if I don't give it to them, they will take it by force. So we have forgotten that message because we've been lulled into thinking everything is all right in America. Not understanding that we've been setting ourselves up for decades. It started with Reaganomics, the taxation systems that started to overtax the lower, the lower portion, the people who earned less, the people who earn wages, for want of a better word, you're earning wages if you're being paid by the hour. The people who earn less, when they instituted right to work so that the employers have the upper hand to determine how does a person work. The employers determine, well, I don't want to keep you. I can fire you without cause. 
to hell with it. I can do whatever I want. Those systems favor the rich. So when you look at it, you have to ask yourself, well, how long was this going to go? Because what the pandemic has revealed is the disparities in wealth, the disparities between people and people and people. And what you realize is that there is no middle. All that is left is the very poor and the very rich. There is no middle left. The middle class is wiped out, erased, gone. Come January and by February, they'll be losing their homes and have to move back into places that they never dreamed they would live again. The middle class is wiped out. Do you understand what I'm saying? Small businesses will not exist come January. They're gone forever. The only businesses that are going to exist are big business. You don't need a, 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 a rocket scientist to tell you that. Just look at it. People will have no jobs. Most people, let me help you out. Most people in America are employed by small businesses. Are you listening to me? I said most people in America are employed by small businesses. If there are no small businesses, there's no, there are no jobs. Most large employers or what you think are large employers subcontract their services out. Why? Because, again, they did not want to pay. They did not want to pay benefits. They did not want to enrich people's lives and contribute to the good of the society. They were interested in money and more money for themselves. So they created, instead of hiring people directly so they would be responsible for the outcome of those people, they would subcontract the service out. In subcontracting the service out, what happens is you break it up. You break up people's employment. People are hired on a contractual basis. We all became familiar with it, right? We all had to submit our W-4s and all, everything else, right, to identify who we are because we're a subcontractor. And in doing so, what you did was you created disparities. You further increased the disparities. So you literally exist on a three-month contract or on a six-month contract or on a yearly contract. So the jobs that were permanent, that gave you the benefits of health care and pensions and so on, became more and more, more and more scarce. Can't find them because they exist at the whims and fences of CEOs and vice presidents who believe that their goal in life is to live high on the hog. Their goal in life is to fly in private jets and eat the finest food in the finest restaurants in the world, and everybody else is a surf. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if, when you look at humanity and you look at the civilization today, you have to ask yourself, you say to yourself, what we are seeing really is a return to serfdom. We're seeing, the, you, you ever heard the saying, the more things change, the more they remain the same? We've gone through revolutions and wars and rumors of wars to overturn the system of inequities only to find ourselves right back at the same place. We call it different names now. We call it democracy. We call it capitalism. We call it socialism. What it is, is that there are still some people at the bottom, and most of the people are at the bottom, the third estate, and most the rest of them are at the top. And the people who are at the top are not interested in ever coming back down to the bottom. They do everything in their power to maintain their position at the top. So when you see in the next couple of days, weeks, when this is all over, what you're going to see happening when you see people storming 
into legislatures and people storming into into businesses and taking over banks and wanting to take over uh, places that represent what we consider to be normal and functional and essential to the functioning of society and in hospitals and demanding that their people be treated. What you're seeing is the people who are tired of being underrepresented, tired of having worked and watching their parents and grandparents work and still at the end of the day, one pandemic came and wiped them all out. And this system that caused this to happen was aided and abetted by the politicians, the people in business, the people with big money. They all saw this coming. So they decided to protect themselves. That's why they're hurrying to go to Mars and finding life on Mars. They know the damage they have done. And so they're making sure that they protect themselves. Are the people going to get to them? No, you can't get to their homes. They have security around them. You can't find where they live. But who are they going to attack? People go to turn on one another. They're going to attack the systems that denied them access in the first place. They're going to attack the integral systems because they're fed up. That's what happened at storming of the Bastille. In Paris, in France, people were fed up of the plutocracy. They were fed up of the aristocracy. They were fed up of the distribution of wealth that was concentrated in the hands of a few. They were fed up that the people who owned the wealth controlled the people and could randomly kill people off. They could take your lands away if you didn't pay taxes, but they made sure you didn't earn any money to pay taxes. Does that sound familiar? That situation is happening in the city of Detroit right now. Right here in Detroit, in Wayne County, Michigan, they're overtaxing citizens to take away their land because they want access to their land. So they drive you off your own land drive you off land and homes that your grandparents have owned so that they can have access to your land. What has changed, people? Nothing. The more things change, the more they remain the same. Those elements of governance, those elements of governance of control have not changed through time. And it's time for people to realize that and wake up. When you are voting in people, don't vote people in because you like their smile. Don't vote them in because they smile and shake hands with you. They're representatives of a system that is designed to tear away your rights and take away what you own. Look at what's happening in the city of Detroit. It's a disgrace. It's the middle of a pandemic. And they're foreclosing on people's homes for taxes. Taxes. What has changed through time? Nothing. The same thing existed. In the French Revolution, the people were overtaxed. The third estate, the largest number of people at the bottom were overtaxed. The same thing exists today. You pay mammoth property taxes on your property. What do you get out of it is the question. What do you get out of it? Do you get social services? Do you get functionalities? No, you don't. The roads are terrible. You don't get health care. The hospitals are at capacity from a virus. Are you seriously kidding me? You don't get functionality of representation because you are not represented. They fool you into thinking if you vote for someone, yeah, they're going to represent you. No, they're not. They get tied into the same system. And as soon as they make it, they're like, well, too, I forget about you. I'm in here for myself. That's what happened. So the people of Paris, they got fed up. They said, okay, we want our own leadership. 
They organized. They got their own leadership. The king consented because the king saw the writing on the wall that his days were numbered. But he felt like he had the National Guard and he had the, the, all the, the guards of the army and, and so on around him. So he felt secure. They could not come on my ground. They went and took over the, 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 the prison. It was a medieval fortress, seven towers high. They went and took it over. you got to marvel at the technology that they had, that they could build, construct a building with seven towers. They didn't have cranes, at least that's what they tell us today. They didn't have cranes. So how did they climb up there? On ladders, seriously? And take all that equipment up on ladders? How many people must have died to construct those buildings? you got to wonder. Some things just don't make sense. <laughs> I kid you not. They keep trying to shove ideas on us that the pyramids existed from the beginning of time. And Well, how did they build a 21-story structure without cranes? You can't explain that, then don't tell me that that's what happened, because it doesn't make sense. But what we do, we are numbed. So we accept the explanation, and we don't think about it. Like right now, we accept the explanation, and we don't think about it. It never occurred to any of us to question, why does a virus take us out? Why this virus never happened? Yeah, we made a little noise here and there, but did we really question why did they tell you to wear a mask? Why not wear a mask? Why did it have to become a source of politics? Why did mask wearing become a source of American loyalty and patriotism? That is ridiculous. Loyalty to the tenets of America are different from loyalty to wearing a mask. They're not one and the same. They're not interchangeable. If you are patriotic, you would wear a mask because you would love your fellow American and would not want to see them destroyed because the facts were clear. If they were comparing the virus to the flu epidemic of 1918. That was something for us to wake up. Why would you listen to a man who just appeared on the scene four years ago, who had no history of politics, no history of political life, no history of ever governing a city, any kind of regional uh, government structure, or, or why would you listen to someone like that? Because what, what kind of businesses did he run if every one of them ended up bankrupt? You wanted a businessman. No, you wanted someone who said the messaging that you are saying. But what you really should have said was, I am dissatisfied with a system that continues to overtax me and I get no benefit out of it. That's what this is all about. So the people in France went and stormed the Bastille, not to take it over want there were only seven prisoners there so they didn't go in there to free the prisoners they wanted access to the ammunition in the Bastille why because that would give them power the storming of the Bastille is a latent message for us today that the people of the third estate are going to storm the places of power because they want power because they feel as if I don't know, this administration failed me. They voted him out. I don't like that they voted him out. The next one coming in, they're not going to like me because I'm racist and they're going to pick on me. So I'm going to take it by force and I'm going to take over this system. And if I am in control of it, I am assured that I being in control of it controls my destiny. We got to be careful of that because that is the wrong messaging too. That is the wrong messaging. 
you don't have any governance experience either. You don't know how to control the systems of government. Give me your five-year plan. You don't have one. All you're thinking of is in the moment that if I take it over right now, I can prove to them that I have the power. This was never about proving who has the power. This was about effective management of a region's resources for the benefit and the good of all. And my friends, that's where the thing is. That's where, that's my sticking point. That's the point at which I'm trying to ratify the ratification of what the people want versus what is good for all, the governance of the system. That is the sticking point of humanity that we have not found the next of it. We have not found that commonality, that common ground that brings the two ideologies together. We have not found it yet. We're still. We're not even trying to work it out. We're not even trying to fine-tune it. We've given up. We've just gone back to the way things were. Just call it by a different name. We elect a president. We call him a president. He's a king for four years. How did you think Donald Trump was going to go in there with the personality that he is? See how the presidency operates and how much control and power that the presidency operates and thinks he was going to be a nice guy when he was on his way out. No, he wanted that forever. He wasn't built like that. That is a lesson for us to be careful of the next person who comes with all spouting uh, messages that rhymes with just a few. If it is not for the good of all, it is not good. Maybe that's why the new guy coming in, Biden is so rejected because his messaging is not what's good for, for all, for, all, for, for uh, some. It's what's good for all. Trying to integrate, trying to make the systems work so it is better for all. Maybe, I don't know if he'll get a chance to do it. I hope he does. He won the elections. I hope he gets a chance to govern. But it is going to take, what, time? It's not going to be overturned in four years. It took 400 years to get here. Hardly likely that four years is going to render it incapacitated. Hardly likely. But you still have to contend with the third estate who are looking at how do I get what I want? I am going to have to storm the Bastille. Well, what happened when the citizens of Paris stormed the Bastille? They went, they stormed the prisons, they took over the prisons. The governor of the prison, the man in charge, did not want to give them what they wanted because it was a mob. It was an angry crowd. You don't capitulate to that. They beheaded him, took his head and ran through the streets of Paris, further inciting the people, sort of telling them that it's okay, you can do it because we got rid of the bad guy. We got rid of the one guy who stood in between us and the power that we want, so now we can do it. You've got to be careful of that. That's an example for us to look at and for all leaders today to make sure this does not happen. What are you going to do to overturn this, to make people feel that they are part of the system? If it is government of the people, by the people, for the people, then the people need to engage in that. Why is it not good for all? Why is it only good for some? Why are you taxing people out of the Netherlands? Why are you taxing people to the nethermost degree? It's overburdening the people. And you sit down and go to your lunches and go to your cocktail parties and you go to play golf and you ha, 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 like a rich man. 
and laugh at the suffering that you've caused people and say, well, look at them. That's their problem. It's not my problem. You really, really think that it's going to continue forever? It's not just apathy you have to worry about. In another day and time, we have this intellectual argument about people will become apathetic to the political process. There's a different group of feeling today. And there's a different group of people with a different set of ideology who want to try out their own ideas of governing. And how are they going to do it? They're going to take it. They're going to storm the bath. Look out for people storming legislatures. Look out for people going in and saying, I'm going to take it by force because I want the results of this election to reflect what I believe should have happened. Look out for it. It is going to happen. Why? Because we have not paid enough attention. We were too busy making political speeches, giving people a a, a stopgap, and not realizing that the majority of the people in the country are overtaxed. And the billionaires are no trillionaires. They're no trillionaires, and they haven't worked for it. Meanwhile, the people who are bearing the brunt of the taxation are the third essay. Seriously? So let me get this straight. You sit down in your ivory towers, and you look at people, and you laugh as if people's lives are a joke, as you continue to burden the people with taxation and punitive laws and continue to suppress and oppress the people. How did you think this was not a formula for disaster? It makes you wonder, every person who is running for political office perhaps should have, they should have, they should demonstrate that they have not just a passing knowledge of civics and history, but they should be degreed in it. They should understand it because you must learn the lessons of the past so you don't repeat them. How did you think that this riling up of people stoking fires that have been lying latent since Reaganomics when he instituted that tax bracket foolishness. How did you think that that was like, that was the beginning of the end of the American dream? Answer that. Deal with that. That's where it all started. A party that is so punitive. Look at, look, look at the Republican Party today. They don't care about the people. They don't care that the people are suffering. People are in a pandemic and they want protections for businesses so employees won't sue businesses if they get the coronavirus. Instead of releasing the checks to people to keep their homes, to pay off their mortgages, to pay down their car notes, you are worried about protections to businesses. It is a reverse. It's almost like reading the French Revolution all over again. I am sure that historians simply struck by the similarities between what's happening today and what has happened in the past. If the past, as written in history, is anything like what they say and wrote about happened, the similarities today are mind-blowing. We all are doing this like, oh my God, we're teetering on the brink of disaster. And guess what? Nobody is listening. There is not one person listening. There is not one person paying attention. And this feeling is worldwide. It's not just here. It's worldwide. The media controls what you see so you don't see that people in France went to where the prime minister lives of France and threw bathtubs. (laughs) 
<laughs> they're not showing you what is happening in other parts of the world. The people are tired because over time, the people have paid for the wealth and power of that nation. And the people are not getting anything out of it. The people are not being resuscitated. I kid you not, I see a day and time when they start distributing this vaccine, if the vaccine is effective, and people can't get it because Michigan is only going to get 230000 Why? Because the outgoing administration did not order enough for all of the country. Yikes. He only ordered it for who? His friends? Right? And so when the vaccine is being distributed and more and more people, because it's cold in Michigan now, and it's getting colder and colder and colder, People's businesses have shut down. No way of ever coming back. They're not giving out loans. You can't even get increased credit on your credit card now. The banks have shut down uh, overdraft and, and, and uh, lines of credit and, lines of, and equity lines of financing. Did you all know that? That means the people are being squeezed. We're squeezed in a tight squeeze. You can't get any help. What's going to happen? People are filing for unemployment, and the government, the Republican Party, will not reauthorize unemployment benefits of $600 a week to help people from suffering. What do you think is going to happen? People are going to do what? They are going to take it by force. They're going to storm the Bastille. That's the historical significance. That's the relevance of what happened in 1789 to a country whose colors are red, white, and blue. That's the significance of today to America. The storming of the Bastille is not just a historical event. It is an event that is giving us lessons. We can stop it now. We can start telling people that we're not going to overtax them. By, I think uh, the incoming guy, Biden, has said that, that he's not going to tax people. But guess what? You have to earn the income first. There are no jobs. What are you going to do about providing for people until the economy restarts? We have to overturn the system. The system can't work where billionaires who were not employing people became trillionaires under the pandemic while everybody else lost their businesses. Something is wrong. And if we're not paying attention to it because, oh, we're focused on the Senate race in Georgia and you're focused on maintaining power, you're focused on keeping ultimate power, I'm afraid for for America. I'm afraid because they look around the world and they're like, well, we want to keep power. We don't just want to have power for two years or four years or six years. We want to have ultimate power all the time. Power and greed walk hand in hand. And with that said, here comes 1789, teaching us a lesson about what we should pay attention to. And you have to ask yourself, well, where is God in this? Like this, watching. He's like, I tried to tell you. I've been telling you for, for hundreds of years. Were you listening to me? The message of those years that are past are written for us to understand. Sometimes people like to say, well, you know, I want an audible. You want an audible? You don't want an audible because the Bible says if God starts speaking, the world trembles. So you don't want that audible. You look to the pages of the past. And the past is a guide to the future. You're like, hold up. Hold up. It's like every mother knows their child. What the child is in childhood tells you a great deal about what kind of human being they will be. 
what kind of adult they will be. So what you do is you curb and you train them to go the way that is best for them and healthiest for them. But that's what we should have started. We started real good. We were escaping the plutocracy and aristocracy in England. But then we came over here and became consumed with power. We became consumed with holding on to power and taxing the people, overtaxing the people. It's evident everywhere in regional politics and county and state governments. It's evident everywhere. And you simply think that the people are not going to storm the Bastille. Think again. It's coming. They're going to rise up because they are tired. It's going to look like they're dissatisfied with the elections. No, what they're dissatisfied with, what they're not enunciating, is that it's been centuries. I'm fed up. I'm paying so much in taxes. You look at your paycheck and you're like, my God, we pay more in taxes than the people at the top. And they get to live. And this is the final point. Social media has brought home to us. You remember when, we, when I was growing up, they had a show on TV called The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Today, they don't have that. You know what they have today? They don't have lifestyles of the rich and famous. We have Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. We can see how they live. We have the internet. We can Google how much they're worth. Remember when the pandemic started, all these celebrities are just like you. Oh, yeah, but you're on your 100-acre farm in Kentucky. And I live in a two-bedroom apartment with five of us. Hello? The inequities. The inequities. The storming of the Bastille is a lesson from history that we should all learn. Thanks so much, everybody. My name is Harriet Kemmock. This has been Down to Earth. Thanks so much on this 13th day of December, 2020. Go to my website, harrietkemmock.com, as well as visit my pages on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google, and Apple Podcasts, wherever your favorite podcast platform is. Thank you so much, everybody. Be blessed. Down to earth, as I can get. Thanks so much.